Good morning. Good morning. Amen. We thank and praise God for being here on this morning, this opportunity to share with you uh, from the Word of God to uh, Pastor Mike and his family. Thank you all for your hospitality. Thank you to the elders and friends, uh, everyone that's here on this morning. Women, if you could, would you please celebrate the men that are fathers here this morning by just celebrating them, by giving them a hand clap of praise. Thank God for all of the fathers. Amen. We don't, we don't get praised enough for that task. So I just want to take a moment just to say thank you to all the fathers that have stepped up and done what was necessary for their family and leading them in worship this morning. Amen. I do have with me uh, my wife, Adrian. Amen. That's my ride or die, as we call it. <laughs> she is my greatest supporter. I thank and praise God for her being with me as well. With that being said, if you take your copy of God's word, would you come with me to the book of John? John chapter 14, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 12 through 16. John chapter 14, verses 12 through 16. This passage that we are sharing from this morning falls into one of seven I am statements made by our Christ Jesus, all of which are found in the book of John. And just as a brief reminder, let me share them with you. Uh, first, we have the bread of life. That's John 6 and 35. I am the light of the world. John 8 and 12. I am the gate for the sheep. John 10, 7. I am the good shepherd. John 10, 11. I am the resurrection and the life. John 11 and 25. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14 and 6. I am the true vine. John 15 and 1. And it's in this that I would like to bring to our attention because this passage actually falls into one of the seven I am statements. And that is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14 and 6. If I had time, and I know that I don't, <laughs> and I can generally be long-winded at times, but I'm going to try to break this down briefly to us so to give us the understanding of what God is sharing with us on today. This passage, actually, the passages before, uh, comes to two primary heads, and that is Jesus is the way of God, and that's verses 1 to 6. And then Jesus is the revelation of God, that's John 7 and 11. But in our time together this morning, I would like for us to consider this latter portion of this passage and ask you the question, how does Christ being the way to God and the revelation of God impact the believer's life today? That question we'll seek to answer in our time together. Let us read down St. John chapter 14, verses 12 through 16. Herein is the reading of God's word. Truly I say to you, whosoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because 
I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The latter portion says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, and he will be with you forever. This is the reading of God's word. Let us go before him in prayer at this time. Gracious God, our Father, we come in the name of Jesus, the one who was de- uh, died and resurrected for our sins. Father, we thank you for your goodness of extending your love to us, that while we were yet sinners, you commended your love towards us. I ask now, Father, that you will lead us in your word, that you will illuminate your word, give us eyes, hearts, and ears to receive the teaching of God's word. Bless us now with your presence, and we'll pray these things in your Son. In Christ's name we do pray, and we said together, Amen and amen. This morning, I I just have for you, uh, for consideration, I want to use for a topic, the power and the promise of a risen Savior. The power and the promise of a risen Savior. Uh, The fallen condition is one of the things that we share with our congregants to let them know how do we apply or how do we relate to the passage that is before us. So I want to say that the fallen condition of this text is without Christ's ascension, we are powerless to perform God's purposes. We are powerless. But because Christ have died and he has resurrected and now he has ascended and sits at the right hand of the father, he makes intercession for us. And thereby, we as the body, all of us, have the power and the promises to do the greater works of Christ. The greater works of Christ. So with that being said, I want to bring to your attention three points from this text. First of all, I want to talk about the power through Christ's ascension. The power through Christ's ascension. Secondly, I want to share with you the promise of Christ's intercession. What has Christ promised by ascending, sitting at the right hand of the Father? And then lastly, I want to talk to you about the promise of the Holy Spirit. First of all, let's look at the first point, which is the power of Christ's ascension. In verse 12, he says, Truly I say to you, whosoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. This statement immediately brings to our attention the question is, what is the greater works of Christ? What does it mean for us by him saying that we shall do greater works? Now, to think about this and to be reminded, John and uh, Jesus in his ministry have done many miraculous and powerful works. And because he has done that, does that mean that we, too, will do those works? Mm, that's a question to consider. 
He's healed the sick. He's changed water to wine. He's walked on water. He's fed the 5,000, took two fish, five loaves of bread, multiplied it, and fed 5,000 people besides women and children. He's healed the blind. And then one of his greatest miracles was he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Do we have that power? Beloved, I would say that I wish that we did, but it's not necessarily true for us. It was only for the sake of the apostles because the apostles done the work of Christ and every miracle that they performed pointed to someone greater than them. And that was Christ Jesus. Does this mean whoever believes in Jesus would do these works as he did? There's a clue right in our text that will help us with that understanding. He says, beloved, uh, the word whosoever levels the playing field for every believer to be capable of doing this greater works that he has just spoken but 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28 says to us, unto some is given the gift of miracles. Unto some, that is an exclusive statement, not an inclusive statement, as we had just heard from the word whosoever. But he's talking about something. What is he talking about? What is this greater words? Whosoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And the greater works than these will he do. And don't miss this, because I go to the Father. The meaning of Jesus' statement must arise out of the context. He's speaking. He's talking about his departure to the Father, namely through his death, his burial, and resurrection. It is Jesus' departure to the Father that makes the way free for all believers to be able to do this particular greater works that he's speaking of. Well, then what's this greater work? The signs and the works that Jesus performed during the ministry could not fully be accomplished to their true end until he ascended to his Father and sat at the right hand. Now what has he done? Now that he has accomplished his assignment, our assignment is this, is that we shall all be witnesses of Jesus Christ. There's no one excluded from that task. And I know that we generally like to default to the TEs and the TRs and things like that. But I want to share with you that it's all of our responsibility to share the word of God. I'm reminded of us funny story about a pastor who was uh, in a well-to-do church, had many educated people, and he decided that if he could just meet the demands of those who have the upper echelon, those that are smart with intellect, if he could only get these particular people saved, then guess what? His church would grow abundantly. So in his mind, he devised in his heart that I will start delivering messages that would be intellectual and well-to-do, that would encourage the people. And surely by my teaching, these people that are well-to-do will come to Christ. So he created a series of preaching, and he preached, and he preached, and each message was phenomenal. 
And the guy at the end of the week received Christ. He walked up to the guy and he said, what message that I preached that led you to Christ Jesus? The guy looked at him. He said, it wasn't any of your messages. It was that old lady that walked out of the sanctuary one night and she tripped and fell. And just as she was falling, I was there to bear her up. And she gave me thanks and gratitude. And then she asked me the remarkable question of, am I saved? It wasn't the preaching that saved her, this guy. It was the old lady that's in the congregation. All of us have the responsibility to share the word of God. Not just the pastor, not just the deacons, not just the, not just the teaching elders, ruling elders, and all such like, but it's those who love God. If you love God, you will share the word of God. Let me show you how important it is for us to witness as we are sharing in our life. Now that he's accomplished the work, uh, he, uh, his assignment and his ascension, watch what he tells us about bearing witness to him. Matthew, and my phone keep going off, so please ignore that. Matthew 28 and 19 says that going to all the world, preaching and teaching, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. John 21 and 24 says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, who has written these things. We know that his testimony is true. Acts 1 and 8 says, and ye shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit have come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Acts 1 and 22 says, Begin, beginning from baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become us a witness of his resurrection. Acts 2 and 32 says, Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are witnesses. If Christ have risen in your heart, and you have received him as your Lord and Savior. We all have the responsibility to share Christ to others. It's just like a good restaurant. When we go and the food's well and we dine and the decor is good and things of that nature, what do we do? We go out and share with everyone. You need to go to this new restaurant. It was phenomenal. The service was great. The people was good. The food is excellent. Well, why can't we have that same tenacity, that same energy and sharing our faith in Christ? This is the challenge that Christ is sharing with us. He has risen to the Father, and he has given his final, in his final declaration to the disciples, go into all of the world, preaching and teaching and baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that is given to you, and lo, I'm with you always. Our task as believers of God through Christ's ascension, is that we bear witness of him. 
Not only in this text do we see Christ's ascension being the power that we receive, but now we also see uh, Christ's intercession. Look, if you will, at verses 13 and 14. It says, whatsoever you ask in my name, this will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Because Christ have accomplished the will of the Father and glorified him through his death, burial, and resurrection, now Christ himself can intercede on the behalf of all saints. It was Gerald Bulchard in his commentary that said these words here. Some invitations to pray uh, for anything in this context is not, in fact, to be understood as anything in an absolute sense. But because of the guiding principles of the believer's prayer must be the same principle that Jesus followed through his life. Some of our word of faith, brethren, would take this passage completely out of context which means that I can pray for anything. We've heard the same, you blab it, you grab it. You name it, you claim it. That's not true. What he's talking about here is anything, and here's the key point in our prayer, it must be directed to the will of our Father. Let me show you something that is, I think, the most beautiful, the most excellent outlay of prayer is given in Matthew 6. And I go along in accordance to that, it would be the Westminster Confession of Faith, where we can find our doctrine. Questions 97 through 100, which tells us through 107, will tell us exactly how should we pray to, in effort to give honor to God. Let me, let me remind you of some. Question number eight, 98 in our Westminster Confession of Faith says, what is prayer? What is prayer? The answer is, prayer is an offering up to God, unto God, for things agreeable to his will. In the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercy. Question number 99. What is the rule that God has given which direct us in our prayer? The whole word of God is of use to direct us in our prayer. Question 100. What do the preface of the Lord's prayer teach us? The preface of the Lord's prayer is our Father who are in heaven. Our Father teaches us that God is our Father and that we can draw nigh unto him and ask his will and it shall be done. The second question that comes behind it, it says, what is the first petition of this prayer? The first petition is, hallowed be thou name. That means we give reverence. We give honor to God. So often when we pray, we pray in a manner that is only self-gratifying, don't we? I want this. I want that. I want a better job. I want a better house. I want a better car. I want better clothing. I want to be able to provide for my family. I got to have money, God. So give me that. Maybe it's not money that you need, but it's the one that has all things that you need. The Bible says the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein. The cattle on a thousand hills is the Lord's. It's better to have the Lord than anything in life. 
Job was one of the richest men, and I started to preach from this passage about a righteous, the Bible declares about him being a righteous man, one who shunned evil, that he was blameless, and he had a perfect situation. His finances was in the right order. His household was in the right order. His worship was in the right order. But when all of those things were taken away, the word of Job's was, I know my Redeemer lives. His emphasis wasn't on his house, his children, anything like that. His focus was on the goodness of the Lord. What is, uh, what is the second petition? The second petition teaches us, thou kingdom come. We pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced and ours and others brought into it and kept in it. And that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. What was the words of Jesus Christ? He said, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. That is spoken by John on the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelation. He prayed that God's kingdom would come. What is God's kingdom? His rule and authority over his people. That will be accomplished when Christ comes again. Here's another God honoring thing in the Lord's prayer. It teaches us how to forgive one another. Most of us have experienced hurt in our lives. If you haven't, keep on living. It's going to happen. How do you respond to the hurt? Do you begrudgingly hold it in your heart tightly and say, I will never forgive that person for what they do? Or do we look to the cross and say, because Christ forgive me while I sin against him, do we hold it or do we got to release it? The Bible tells us there's a direct correlation in our love for one another. He said, how can you love the father who you have never seen? <laughs> we got to understand it's about love. Love will help us fulfill the God-honoring request when we go before the Lord in prayer. We won't be self-gratifying, but we will seek him in which we will sacrifice ourselves. The same prayer in which Jesus prayed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as he prayed to prepare to drink of that bitter cup, he said, not my will, but thy will be done. It's about God's will, not about our wants. Let me move quickly. Some of y'all looking at me like, sit down. <laughs> Here's what it's saying. As we see this in the Bible and our doctrine of faith is consistent with the aim of Christ and his achievement was to bring glory to the Father. Are we bringing glory to the Father? How is it that we do so? Our passage is coming up. will help us with that. We bring glory to the Father by loving one another. By loving one another. He said, this is the greatest commandment. As the disciples was asking Jesus, he said, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said unto them, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, and with all thy soul. And the second commandment is like unto it. You shall love thy neighbor as thyself. 
We're living in a fallen world, so therefore those that live in the world will constantly hold to things that separate and divide us. But we as the body of Christ should be unified. How? In love and peace and kindness and joy one with another. There's no room for diversity. There's no room for ethnicity. There's only room for Christ in our life. There's no room for government. If our political fashions have taken rule and we declare that I'm a, uh, I'm a uh, uh, Republican and the other says I'm a Democrat, should that separate us? Absolutely not. We can agree to disagree and still love one another in accordance to God's word. Here's what he's saying to us. And he says that uh, because Christ has the power, he, he has ascended unto the Father. Because Christ now sits at the right hand of the Father, he makes intercession for us. Guess what he's able to do now? He's now able to pour out the spirit of God unto us. Which, if you pay close attention, is very important because it's a covenantal thing that's going on right here in our text. Because Jeremiah 31, 31, let me remind us, it says that uh, he was going to give us his spirit in conclusion. Watch what it says. For this is the covenant that I will make to the house of Israel. To those after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Notice the key words there. He says, I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts, which alludes to what? John 14 and 15. What does John 14 and 15? It's in our text. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandment. Beloved, we cannot keep the commandments of God without the Holy Spirit leading us. Matter of fact, even in our best days, we still can't fulfill it. But we need the Spirit of God to cover us when we fall short of the things that he has commanded in his word. And I don't know about you, and I said to Pastor Mike today, I said, thank God for the opportunity of letting a, a sinner preach. <laughs> All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What happens when we fall short? Jesus Christ intercedes on our behalf. The story is told about a tree that wasn't producing fruit and, and he says, one, one person says, cut it down. But there was an intercessor. The keeper of the vineyard said, no, let me dong on it. Let me dig and fertilize the soil so that it can be productive, that it can bring forth fruit. And then if not, cut it down and throw it into the fire. The Lord is working on us that we can love one another. The greatest of the commandment is love. The way that we fulfill the commandment of God is love. The preeminence of God's word, all of the word that is written hinges on love. This is why God says, I am love. Love is the greatest commandment. If we're going to fulfill 
the commandments of God that he's just spoken. What are those commandments as he has ascended? Now we have the power to witness. If you're going to have the power to witness, then he, he leads us into the intercession. I'm going to intercede on, on your behalf because I've ascended to the Father. But then there's another. He says, I, while I'm there, I'm going to pour out my spirit on them so that they would be able to love rightly. If we look within ourselves on the day, can I honestly and truly ask the Lord and say to the Lord, I've loved everybody equally? That's the challenge. Does it get hard? Yes, indeed. When people misuse you, when people scorn you, when they lie on you, Guess what? The challenge is still to love. And you can love because Christ first loved you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I come into the world not to condemn the world, but the world through me might be saved. Challenge this morning from our text is the power to witness, the power to pray, and the power to love. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Oh God, our Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the power of your ascension that gives us the ability to witness. We thank you for the death and resurrection, for through it you were able to ascend into heaven. And now you sit at the right hand of the Father and you make intercession for us. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. That the Lord God lead, guide and direct us to all truths. Father, I pray that we'll use this word to search the inward parts of our soul, our mind and spirit so that we may be able to be declared as the sons and daughters of God. I ask now, the Lord God, where we falter and fail, we thank you for your grace that covers a multitude of sin and fault. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that continue to teach us, that leads us from grace to grace and from faith to faith. Bless us now that you will continually be with us and forever through the power of the Holy Spirit. These things we pray in Christ's name, amen. Pastor Mike.